Chapter 10, verse 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. These apostles weren't chosen before the foundation of the world, but according to Luke chapter 6, they were chosen after the Lord spent all night praying. These apostles and these apostles alone were sent out to do a very special and unique ministry of healing the house of Israel, those that would receive it, and their commission was to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. There isn't a ministry anywhere on the earth as of making this video that can do what I've just read to you from verse 1. I also believe from the cross-reference which is found in Mark 3 and Luke 6 that the 70 also go out with the 12 apostles and conduct this one-off unique healing ministry. 2. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother. The apostles are normally found in that order. Peter, I believe, was older than Andrew, hence why he is listed first. And James is also, I believe, older than John, hence why he is also listed first. Also, if you go to the third chapter of Mark, the sons of Zebedee are given a surname by the Lord. So not only was Peter privileged to be given a new name, but so too were the sons of Zebedee. 3. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius whose surname was Thaddeus. There are several Jameses in the New Testament. James from verse 2 isn't the writer of the epistle of James, but James in verse 2 is the James which was martyred, and he wasn't resurrected by any of the early church leaders. 4. Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Each of the synoptic gospels list Judas in last place. Contempt. He betrayed the Lord and the writers of the scripture are going to list him in last place. 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right up until the end of the Gospels, the Lord is really primarily focusing his attention on Israel. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Of course, we've seen Gentiles already along the way that were saved, but they are far and few between. Here, he's going to focus primarily on the house of Israel. And again, verse 2, have the Jewish apostles. And verse 6, they are going to the house of Israel. 7. As ye go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Physical kingdom here and now. The king is physically on the earth, so that is the only way to honestly expound this part of scripture. Look at 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. 
that isn't for today. There's just no way that anybody could go to this part of scripture and say this has application for today. It doesn't. As I say, verse 1, you were to heal all sickness and all disease. 2 and 3 and 4 list the 12 Jewish apostles. 6, they go into the house of Israel. 8, to heal the sick, raise the dead. That's all they were doing. It was a one-off ministry. It was a one-off sending out. It was a unique event. And also, you can't cite this part of scripture to prove the one-man paid ministry. There's nothing in here to even suggest that. These are evangelists at best, not pastors, and they are going out to heal the sick, not to teach the Bible, not to plant churches. So try not to approach this with the mindset that this is somehow going to affirm the one-man ministry. It's not. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nine, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. They were to go with the very clothes that they were wearing on their back. Again, this is a unique ministry. The Lord sends them out by faith, but the latter part of 10 says that the workman is worthy of his meat. So they will be rewarded, and as I say from 1 Corinthians 9, an evangelist, if he goes out by faith, is entitled to be supported by his local assembly. But a one-man full-time paid pastor isn't found anywhere in the New Testament. 11. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. This is simply a healing ministry. It's an outreach to the house of Israel. If anybody wants to be healed, come and be healed. As I say, there's nothing in here to even insinuate a one-man minister receiving a full-time salary. 12. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. They would have known who would be welcoming. They would have been healing in the streets. People would have said, come in and have a meal. Come in and wash your feet. Come in and have a bath maybe. Or come in and spend a few moments with us. Hospitality. That's all it would entail. 14. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust off your feet. That's very much a Middle Eastern expression for contempt. And even today in the Middle East, if you go to any Muslim country, they will take their shoes off and wave them about to show disgust. And I think we can all recall after the Iraq war when an Iraqi journalist took his shoe off and threw it at George Bush. That was to show his contempt and Clearly they have retained some of the Jewish customs which we find here in the New Testament. In fact, most of the Quran has been taken from the Old and New Testament. There's very, very little original material in the Quran. Most of it has just been plagiarized from the Bible. 15. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in a day of judgment than for that city. 
this is a good part of scripture to go to to see that the Lord pointed back to Genesis points back to Sodom and Gomorrah points back to the judgment that fell in those surrounding areas and upholds the Genesis accounts the Lord also upholds the Noah account he upholds the creation account Christ was a creationist and uh, time after time when you read the New Testament the writers of the New Testament always uphold the Old Testament they always give it the highest level of respect there's no doubting it there's no questioning it there's no spiritualizing it it's simply as it is written thus saith the Lord scripture cannot be broken if you want to become a liberal if you want to have your faith destroyed if you want to become a worthless and barren Christian just go to any typical Bible school and after just a couple of terms there you will come out a complete spiritual wreck and quite possibly even an atheist 16 behold I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves the judgment that was going to fall from verses 6 to 16 is going to be severe very severe because the apostles were eyewitnesses to the Lord's ministry he had personally called them ordained them anointed them briefed them to go out in his name like an advance party as it were and if they didn't hear the apostles the judgment would be much severer on them than it would be compared to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah who had far less light far less accountability back in the book of Genesis compared to these people here in Matthew 10 17 but beware of men for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake for testimony against them and the Gentiles this is a fascinating piece of scripture here you find the Lord speaking to his apostles but vicariously he's speaking about future events they will go out from verses 1, 2, 3 and 4 as Jewish apostles to the house of Israel verse 6 but beyond that he's speaking about Matthew 24 kings, governors, councils the book of Acts shows you what that entailed there's also an even further application to the tribulation the 144,000 witnesses this is why you have to study the Bible very carefully because if you read this and take from this that he's simply speaking about their initial trip their initial outreach to the house of Israel you've missed it because in the Gospel of Luke he says did everything go well with you were there any problems and they said no even the demons were in subjection to us they had no persecution they had no problems it was a straight outreach who wants to be healed who wants to hear the gospel and then back to the Lord to brief him scripture with scripture that's why you need to read all the four gospels carefully side by side otherwise you miss this 19 but when they deliver you up take no thought how or what ye shall speak for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak Philip 
was a mighty man in the scripture, as was Apollos. But these were unique men, they were associates of the apostles. And it says that the Jewish leaders couldn't respond to Philip, they couldn't silence him. And Apollos was mighty and eloquent man, Luke says of him. But here and now, this only has spiritual application to us. What we don't want to do is read this and say, well, I won't study the Bible. I'll just take my chances. You need to study the Bible because Paul told you to in 1 Timothy chapter 2. You were told to study it and meditate upon it. So here he's talking to the Jewish apostles in Matthew 10 for a brief outreach. But beyond that, he's speaking about, I believe, the Acts of the Apostles period, which was 30 years and Stephen possibly would be in consideration there. Philip, yes, and Apollos too. But ultimately, Revelation 7 and 11, the 144,000 witnesses. They are given a special anointing, hence why they don't need to be too focused on what to say when the persecution arises. But again, this is aimed at the Jews, councils, governors, kings. Just read Acts chapter 9, and Paul was sent out for that very purpose. 20. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Again, that's a special anointing for a special people for a special time. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. The Lord said that when he came back, there would be very little faith on the earth. The love of many will wax cold. 22. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. This is way beyond the Apostles' brief outreach just to the house of Israel from verse 6. To be hated by all men? To be put to death from 21? To endure to the end to be saved? What are they enduring? Matthew 24 is the cross-reference to this part of Scripture. And in Matthew 24, they are enduring unto the end of the tribulation to be saved from the deception, not in order to be saved. And I will no doubt deal with that when I get to the 24th chapter. 23. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Second coming, Matthew 24, tribulation. Yes, there are shades of this found in Acts of the Apostles. Paul had to flee town in a basket and the persecution increased. The Jews were forced to disperse when the persecution increased. But here, this is way beyond the first century. This is well into the second coming, this is way into the great tribulation. And again, the Lord is speaking to the house of Israel. The church isn't being mentioned in here. That's why I'm a semi-dispensationalist. The church isn't Israel. Israel isn't the church. This is aimed primarily and doctrinally at Israel. 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple, that he be as his master, 
and the servant as his lord, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Verse 25 is following up from 9.34, when the Lord was called the prince of the devils, and here he's called Beelzebub, an Old Testament term for the devil himself. And in Mark chapter 3, they even said that the Lord had an unclean spirit. That is the unpardonable sin. I don't believe it has any direct application today, but it certainly did during the time of the Lord's ministry on the earth. If they demonized the Lord, and they did, what will they do to his apostles? What are they doing today to the true Bible believer? How much demonization is going on today? Just go online, look up some of the attacks that the Bible believers have to endure. There isn't any decent government anywhere in the West which defends Bible believers. Bible believers are a minority of minorities. They are ridiculed. They are losing more of their rights day by day. And things will get worse, a lot worse. That's why we pray daily for the rapture to come. So don't lose hope, because in verse 26, Fear them not therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Second death. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Confessing him in 32 got you saved. Denying him in 33 will see you condemned. Ultimately denying him. Not a temporary period of unbelief. Not a temporary period of backsliding or unbelief. But a permanent rejection. A permanent refusal to bend the knee to him. That will send you to hell. 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. This still has an eschatological connotation to it. He's still speaking, first and foremost, to his apostles concerning their immediate outreach, but again he's speaking to them and the wider Jewish community, which will be around 70 AD and during the tribulation. It's going to cost you something to believe on him. Saying that even in the first century, those that got saved paid a huge price for it. Many were treated with contempt. Many were shunned by their families. Some were even put to death for their faith. Look at Stephen the first church martyr. So there's always been a price to pay 
when you get saved, especially in the first century, especially when you had all of these polytheists and all of these depraved deities to become a Christian, to refuse to worship Caesar. Can you imagine the persecution, the affliction they would have endured? So again, first coming, second coming, I completely see both advents here, but uh, we are still in many ways looking at this from an eschatological point of view. 36. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There are different types of loves. There's a love for a husband or a wife, which differs to a love for a mother and a father, which differs from a love that we have for our Saviour. So, as I say, there are different types of love found in the scriptures but here ultimately to love your mother and father puts you into verse 33 because you are denying the Lord in order to keep in with your unsaved mother or father hence you are not worthy of him you are ashamed of him but to believe on him puts you back into 32 which he says he will then confess you before his father which is in heaven and the cross-reference says, and his holy angels. So that's pretty special, really, to have the Lord not only confess you before his Father, but also the holy angels. And they could quite possibly be thousands. 38. And he that taketh not his cross, and followeth after me, is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. If you die denying the Lord, 33, because you love your mother and father more than him, 37, you lose your life and you end up in hell. If you believe on him, from verse 32, you keep your life here and now and you keep it when you die because you are saved. You were found in verse 32. Also 38, to be identified with the Lord was a pretty big deal really uh, the Jews stumbled at the thought of having a crucified Messiah so when the Lord said in the sixth chapter of John that you had to eat his flesh and drink his blood that was abhorrent to them they couldn't conceive what he was speaking about because to be identified with him will cost you something whatever country you live in to be a Bible believer will cost you something. Therefore, you will have to pick up your cross daily, deny yourself, walk in the Spirit, and where possible, proclaim him. Be ready in season and out of season. But, as I say, a temporary period of backsliding or unbelief doesn't put you into the condemnation from verse 33. As I say, 33 is speaking about people that permanently deny him. And they sigh with their mother and their father from 37 and end up being killed, really. Especially in light of 70 AD, when the Romans surrounded Israel, surrounded the city of Jerusalem and lay siege to it. And they all died. 40. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When we go on the streets and we talk to people, 
and if we are able to show them from the Bible scriptures which are relevant to our purpose of being out on the streets, if we want to show somebody their sin from the Bible, we do so because we represent the Lord. If they hear us and believe us, they get saved and the Father is glorified. If they don't hear us and don't receive us, then the Father is offended. As I say, we are ambassadors for Christ. We have no special aspect. We have nothing unique to offer the man or woman in the street. We are simply Bible believers going into our towns, into our cities with the gospel. All apostles are evangelists. We all have the calling and the equipping to go out and preach the gospel. But we don't all have the same gifts. We can't all do the same things. But we are all expected to be post people. We post the letters. We deliver the gospel. What people do with our letters, what they do with our gospel presentation, our deliverance, our articulation of the plan of salvation is up to them. All we were told to do was preach the gospel to every creature. If they believe and get saved, wonderful. If they don't believe, then they remain unsaved, in which case we move on to somebody else. Don't cast your pearls before swine. This Bible is a very straightforward, simplistic book. But you have to read it, you have to meditate on it, and you have to believe it and apply it. And if you do those things, all of these verses will make a lot of sense to you. 41. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Here, Christ is sending out his apostles. He is the king sending out the apostles. The apostles are a unique people. They are found in the book of Revelation, along with, I believe, Jacob's twelve sons. But Christ is the king of kings. He is the eternal God in the flesh. Therefore, to receive the apostles' message here, because don't forget, he is speaking to the apostles about going out, first and foremost, to the lost house of Israel. Verse 6. If they receive the apostles' message, wonderful. They get saved, they get healed, God is glorified. But if they refuse to hear the apostles, if they shut their ears, then the condemnation is going to be so much more severe than anything else found in the Old Testament because they have come straight from the Lord himself. Accountability, hence why you find the term prophet and a righteous man. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Matthew 25 speaks about how the Jews were treated. And that again points to future events, which I'll get to when I reach the 25th chapter. Okay, 42 verses. That will conclude the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew.